Some say all diseases begin in the gut. While this statement is debatable, what isn't debatable is that good digestive health is important in the prevention and management of disease. In today's episode, I speak with a legend in the functional medicine space, Dr. Elizabeth Lipsky. This is your host, Dr. Adam Rindy, and welcome to the next episode of the One Thing Podcast. Let me first tell you a little bit more about Dr. Lipsky. She is the author of Digestive Wellness, a book that's now in its fifth edition. She's also a lecturer for the Institute for Functional Medicine. She's on faculty for the University of Maryland Integrative Health Program. She holds a PhD in clinical nutrition. These are just a few of her accolades. In today's episode, we speak about nutrition, inflammatory bowel disease, integrative and functional digestive strategies and philosophies, and mind-body topics. Her experience as a clinician, educator, and also as a kidney transplant recipient really shine through in this discussion. Please join us in progress on this engaging conversation. I'm very drawn to, you know, the work that you all are doing with nutrition. It's, it's, uh, it's really great. I think patients want nutritional solutions more than they want, you know, anything, I think, because it, it integrates with their life. And when I talk to a patient, it always comes down to, is there anything I can do with my food to make this better? And that's like, that's what they really want. <laughs> well, that's really great because if you get the right person on the right therapeutic plan for them at that moment in time, they're going to feel really different in two weeks. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I love about using food as medicine is there was a group that I was teaching online and one of the students said, Sugar is my nemesis, and for this eight-week course, I'm not going to eat any sugar. Will anybody join me? Hmm. And so almost all of us joined her. And just from that one thing, we had one man who lost 30 pounds. Hmm. We had one woman who'd had migraines for 12 years, and her migraines were gone. Hmm. We had everybody reporting that they were sleeping better and that their energy was better and that their moods were better. And so you go, well, that was just sugar. But then you think about all the food that comes with the sugar, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's just one inflammatory component of food. So... That's what I love about it is that you can the people can see such huge differences in how they feel, right? Pretty fast. Yeah, and you know I think it's it integrates into their lifestyle versus, you know, when, whenever I prescribe, let's say two or three supplements, then that's that's a whole new deal, right? They they have to figure out okay where did I put the bottle, how when am I supposed to take them, how am I going to take them when I'm at work or you know, traveling versus, okay, today we're just going to make something slightly different for dinner or it's, it's just much more practical. Um, and then also I just think people don't generally, even though I really am a fan of nutritional supplements and dietary supplements, I think it's, it's not the top choice from a patient standpoint. 
Yeah. And, you know, we, as you said, we all have to eat. <laughs> so it's just kind of making changes in how we eat. Mm-hmm. It's not saying, okay, so let's talk about your exercise. Yeah. You know, and they go, well, I don't, and I don't <laughs> feel good enough to exercise. And it's like, well, you know, it's not optional. Mm-hmm. So let's try to figure out something. But again, it's like the supplements, now you're adding something new into what you're asking them to do, whereas food, you're just kind of expanding or or contracting on what you're asking them to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, also, like, there's there's a nurturing component too that I think a lot of people who are sick don't feel empowered. Um, they feel, and they don't want to get into like the dependency model of, and of healthcare. And then when they're nourishing themselves and feeling that they're feeding themselves something that's medicinal or healing um, it's self love. And, you know, I, I really, I really see that, you know, the quality of people, from visit to visit change if they've started giving themselves healing foods or nutritious foods. And that they're worth nurturing themselves that way. I love Mm -hmm. that. I say that all the time. Cooking Mm -hmm. for me is self-nurture. It's a creative outlet. Not that I'm terribly creative most of the Mm -hmm. time with it. And it's also, it's self-nurturing and it's saying I'm worth it. Mm -hmm. I'm worth it to do this. Mm-hmm. for myself yeah I, i'm i'm the same way i i love to i'm i love to prepare food for myself and for my family especially my family <laughs> i it, it brings a lot of joy when people are just really enjoying the food and i know that you know what was put into it and you know who knows the impact that will have you know it's it's pretty special so yeah and you know, i think that's one of the the things with the podcast we're trying to do is find this happy medium because a lot of guests have talked about how some people become scared of food and go into restrictive patterns, but some people really feel pain from certain foods and they're the restrictions based on a medical condition. And so you have to be sensitive, you know, about where someone's at. That's the kind of line we walk a lot of times is helping people expand their diet and, and embrace food again. But also if the food is causing pain to really be clear about how to address that. Yeah. And also to, uh, to try to figure out why is that food causing pain? And is this something that's permanent, like somebody who has celiac disease, or is this something that's based on something underlying that, that is um, they have leaky gut or they have a low-grade infection or they have a parasite or mm-hmm. or um, they have um, enzyme insufficiencies, mm-hmm. you know, they're not able to digest or absorb their food as well, you mm-hmm. know, so always kind of looking back um, because it is kind of a trap sometimes mm-hmm. where people will start a FODMAP diet or specific carbohydrate diet or elimination diet or, or um, ketogenic diet. And then mm-hmm. they're like, well, okay, this is, it worked. So here I am and I'm just going to stay with this diet right. forever. And I'll, I'll come back, I'll say, you know, the ketogenic diet, when it was first given to people, it was for people with intractable seizure disorders. Mm-hmm was done in a hospital and within in three months 
um, they would put them back on a normal diet and mm -hmm. their seizures would still be gone. Yeah. And I think a lot of the reasons a ketogenic diet works so well is that it actually starves the microbiome and the microbiome has to kind of regroup mm -hmm. and you also heal a leaky gut at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so you can start kind of starving off fungal overgrowth and you can start starving off the microbes that are causing small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and you're starving these things off and the community and the mucous membranes get to heal and that's why it works so well. It's not so much that it's a magic diet, but it's really um, a diet that allows for GI renewal. Right. And that's what's exciting about it. But if somebody feels like they need to stay on it for the rest of their life, then I'm always looking like, okay, well, what didn't get healed here and what's underlying this and what other issues are there? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, and I think that's a really good point because, um, you know, I, when when it's used as a therapeutic intervention, um, then how do you bridge out of that once you've 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 reached the outcomes you're looking for. Cause I would imagine, you know, going on the ketogenic diet is, is that you probably reach a critical point where the microbiome starts to get to a point where um, you lose some of the uh, butyrate species and, and butyrate producing species. And um, I imagine depending on how healthy you do it, I guess there's a lot of ways you can look at a ketogenic diet. There's like the, the research ketogenic diets, which is like a rat chow ketogenic diet, which, and then there's, you know, the well-formulated ketogenic diet, which would be more with plants and, and healthy fibers and those types of things. When you're talking ketogenic diet, what, what's your kind of aim with people? My, my aim for those people is is really um, as much of a whole foods diet as possible. Mm -hmm. That's always my aim, no matter what the diet is, is how can we get somebody really to a whole foods diet? Um, new research just came out using what's called a NOVA system, which kind of ranks the amount of processing that a food goes through. Mm. And they determined in looking over like 230,000 different foods and packages. So like if you buy like spinach in a tub, that's mm. a packaged food, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But it's not a highly processed food. Mm. So they looked at all of these and they determined that that 70, 69 point, I think eight percent. Wait, it was seventy point eight percent, almost seventy one percent of what Americans eat is ultra processed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just just think, like if we can just get people to only eating ten percent of their calories is processed, highly ultra processed food, mm -hmm. how much better people would feel? So, you know, my kind of ultimate diet always looks kind of like a Mediterranean diet. Mm -hmm. And it might be more weighted towards a vegetarian diet or it might have more animal foods in it, depending on the person. Mm -hmm. But but we have research on a Mediterranean diet for pretty much all health conditions that is mm -hmm. protective and preventive. 
from diabetes to heart disease to cancers to GI issues. And so why does it work so well? Well, probably because it's mostly a whole foods diet. Mm -hmm. And right now there's a big, a big a multinational research project going on comparing the specific carbohydrate diet, which is traditionally used for Crohn's disease and yeah. inflammatory bowel disease, and using that to go head to head against the Mediterranean diet. Mm. And it'll be really fascinating to see what happens. I'm kind of rooting for the specific carbohydrate mm. diet, but I think that because I think it's a really good um, therapeutic diet, not necessarily a lifetime diet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we go on these kind of specific carbohydrate or FODMAP diet or ketogenic diet or Atkins diet or any of these, they're really as much diagnostic as they are treatment mm -hmm. because they tell us a lot. I know that you and your practice, it's like, so how, when we start adding foods back in, then what are, how do people feel, mm -hmm. right? And so you can really find um, people who have lactose intolerance or having uh, reactions to eggs. Like I had a, one client who we did a comprehensive elimination diet. I recommended one and she did it. And, and um, as she added eggs back in, her heartburn would come back every time mm. she would eat an egg. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, look at that. And she's like, okay, so like if I decide to have an omelet, then maybe I should enzymes or something, mm -hmm. you know? Um, um, but mostly she chose not to eat eggs. And, but that was her choice because she was educated about like what eggs, how they made her feel and they made her feel bad. Mm -hmm. And so these diets, when we start taking foods out and then we add foods back in, when you take foods out and somebody feels like a million bucks in two weeks, you see their arthritis disappear and their uh, uh, irritable bowel syndrome and their mood starts lightening and their depression mm -hmm. lifts. And you can see all these changes that happen in two weeks. Mm -hmm. And then as you start slowly, I like people to do it at least four weeks, but mm -hmm. I lie and I say, let's do it for two weeks and mm -hmm. then come back and we'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. And then we reevaluate. And if they're willing to do another two weeks, then we go another two weeks. Mm -hmm. And if they're saying, I'm desperate for <laughs> X, then we kind of try to do that um, and renew that and start adding that food back into their diet like two or three times a day for the next two or three days. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes the first day somebody eats something, they go, yay, no problem. Mm -hmm. In our third day that all of their symptoms just kind of bloom again. And they right. go, oh, okay. Yeah, that's that delayed, delayed sensitivity reaction. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I think that's a good point. And one of the things I do really appreciate about the SCD diet is how they've developed stages, you know, so there's stage one for really acute flares and, and kind of, you can graduate to a maintenance stage five SCD. I think that's really helpful for patients and also for communicating the severity of their flare. And I think it really works clinically 
um, when patients are following the SCD diet that, you know, if they're moving through that, we can really adjust as far as like medicine and other therapies that need to be placed on board that tells us a lot. Um, yeah, you had wanted to talk specifically about inflammatory bowel disease. Yeah, I think I think there's a yeah. there's a couple things like I I wanted to just talk about that and also I think you've been a really big influence on my career from with the five R model. Um, I think that's with uh, I probably was developed through lots of colleagues at IF Institute of Functional Medicine and lots of influences. I think brought it to the forefront, but I would like to just hear about where that's at today and um and then the dig in model that you talk about in your tech the the textbook um the fifth edition i think is coming out in a couple weeks but yeah it's so exciting i would love to talk about that model of digestive wellness and how that's such a great roadmap of of healing the gut so if if any of those or areas that you would be happy to go into. I'd love to talk about that and then circle back about the inflammatory bowel disease if we still have time. Absolutely. Um, so the five R's started out at the four R's and they, they really came from, I think originally um, Dr. Jeffrey Bland and the Research Institute for Functional Medicine. And the idea is that we start thinking about using the five R's for treatment of digestive issues. So to kind of go into them, and I don't have them written down right here, but but to go into them, the first one is remove. So it's like, what are you doing in your life that you need to change? Are you eating a lot of sugar? Are you smoking cigarettes? Are you so stressed out that you're wired when you go to sleep and you can't sleep well? Um, what are some of the things that are in what we would call them in the functional medicine terms? What are the um, mediators? Like, what are you doing in your habits that keep you from not feeling well? Mm-hmm. So to recognize what those are, to remove those things, and then to replace them with other things. So, okay, well, if I'm taking out sugar, maybe I can eat more fresh fruit. If I'm taking out gluten from my diet because I think that makes me feel sick, maybe I can start eating more brown rice or um, quinoa or millet because maybe those grains are better grains for me. Um, For stress, you know, well, maybe I can meditate like 10 minutes twice a day or even meditate 10 minutes once a day. Or for my stress, maybe I can uh, try to modulate my stress by making sure that I get outdoors every day and just go for a walk. So, you know, so we've got the remove and the replace. And Dr. Sid Baker, who's one of my mentors, has said, you know, what does this person need to get rid of and what do they need to add? And mm-hmm. so we start, so those are the first two R's. And then we have um, what we call re-inoculate, which is um, probiotics and prebiotics. And I really love to do that mostly with food. Mm. Um, it wasn't until the last maybe 
40 years that we had little pills and powders that were called probiotics and prebiotics <laughs> mm-hmm. or even newer, maybe the last 20 years, um, maybe lactoferrin was the first prebiotic to be put in a little package. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people historically have always gotten probiotics and prebiotics from food. And that's always my first go-to. And so when you think probiotics from food, you start thinking about cultured dairy products. So things like yogurt and kefir and hard cheeses, um, freshly made buttermilk, things like that. Um, And you can make non-dairy versions of those as well. So you can make a tofu cheese or a Mm. cashew coconut kefir or a soy yogurt or, you know, any combination of those. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of cultured dairy-like foods. And then we also have all the cultured vegetables like um, beet kvass and kimchi and sauerkraut and half sour pickles that you just make on your counter in two Mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they take five minutes to stuff in a jar and then, you know, you let them sit for two or three days and you've got pickles. So, you know, I really love that. And then prebiotics are the food for the microbes in your microbiome. And so those foods are soluble fibers. So um, like oats and beans and uh, lentils and root vegetables and artichokes and black tea and green tea and honey all are loaded with vegetables. They're all loaded with these prebiotic fibers. And also what we've learned more recently in the 2017 consensus statement on prebiotics is that all of the polyphenols and the colors in foods are also prebiotic and Mm -hmm. they have this amazing relationship with the microbiome in that when I eat blueberries, which I did this morning in my smoothie, when I eat the blueberries, that the activity of those polyphenols in the blueberries is only about 5%. But when they get gobbled up by the bacterial enzymes, then what happens is they get activated to be anti-inflammatory and to protect my vision and to um, uh, help control my blood sugar levels and do all these other things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a beautiful relationship. So we want to kind of repopulate the microbiome. So that's like the third R. And then the fourth R would be about kind of healing the leaky gut. Mm -hmm. So that's repair. And then the fifth R is for me about, we were sitting down at the Institute for Functional Medicine about 11 years ago, thinking about the GI module that I co-teach. And I said, you know what, I think we need a fifth R. And that fifth R is really about um, renewal and reconnection. And sometimes, um, so it might be about meditation or acupuncture or reconnecting with an old friend or something like that. But for me, it's also about what's your new normal? Because we have a lot of times like somebody has, they get diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, for example. and. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they think of themselves as that disease, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe they're never going to be as healthy as they were 
originally. Maybe they're going to need to take drugs for that, mm-hmm. or maybe they're going to need to take uh, change their diet or change their job or whatever. So, like, how do we come back to that new normal? Mm-hmm. And then we also have people who've been sick for so long that their life is kind of wrapped around being sick. Mm. And how do they find a new normal when they're not sick anymore and they Mm -hmm. feel really good and all their relationships are built around being sick? Mm -hmm. You know, so all of these things to me, so that's kind of like when we think about the five R's, we think about what's really the treatment for GI issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like that that addition of the, you know, the, the last step or the, the fifth R um, it's, it's important because I think you see that, you know, people need to move from sickness to wellness or sickness to doing better, or just to kind of drop the sort of lifestyle of being sick. And that's a, there's, there's a, that's a big process in itself. And there's a lot of grief associated with that too, um, due to time lost and relationships that have changed. And so it's really great that you guys are, that you've taken a step to address that. Um, I imagine counseling would be part of that step. Yeah. You know, and, and the replace step, you know, you might use digestive enzymes or if somebody's lost their gallbladder, um, might be using ox bile or lipase-loaded enzymes, or some people might need uh, bitters to mm-hmm. stimulate uh, stomach acid production. So there's, you know, there's nuances to it, but the five R's are really about, like, how do we think about bringing, moving somebody to where, from where they are to where they'd like to be? Okay. And the the dig in model is is more about how do we actually think about where to start. Mhm. Um I was sitting in a airport with Dr. Patrick Hannaway one day mm-hmm. and he said this really brilliant thing to me which I was thinking about this morning in the shower because that's where I think. Um <laughs> and And I was thinking about that day when he said this. He said, you know, no matter what somebody's diagnosis is, when we're talking about GI issues, I think there's really only like five main underlying factors. Hmm. So, for example, whether some if somebody has Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis or gastritis or GERD, you know that there's inflammation involved. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's probably also an immune reaction involved because some of those are actually have an autoimmune component. Mm-hmm. Um, or when we think about autoimmune disease, we know that there's almost always, if not always, a leaky gut involved with that. So that's increased intestinal permeability. Mm-hmm. And then he said, and, you know, then there's the gut microbiome and then there's the gut brain, the enteric nervous system mm-hmm. and how that works. And how well are people actually digesting and absorbing and moving their food through? Mm-hmm. So he gave me these like five concepts and I sat and I shuffled them around and I said, you know what? Um, what do you think about dig it or dig in? <laughs> said, I like dig in. Yeah. You know? So, so that's where we came up with that. And, you know, it, and it's so useful because 
if you're working with a patient or you are the patient and you start thinking in the terms of like, well, first, can I digest and absorb my food? And do I have motility issues? So for somebody who's got constipation or somebody who has um, uh, maybe MS or Parkinson's or mm -hmm. somebody with what we call gastroparesis, all of these have motility issues. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're pretty simple things like adding more fiber, drinking more water, um, taking magnesium, you mm -hmm. know, um, having extra vitamin C that can really help with this motility, right? Mm -hmm. Or for digestion and absorption, as I mentioned, maybe they need enzymes or something to support stomach acid. Um, so is that their problem? Because that's kind of the beginning of digestion. If you can't get the nourishment to the cells, well, then you failed. Mm -hmm. And then the second piece is, you know, do they have increased intestinal permeability or mm -hmm. leaky gut or what we call impaired barrier function, mm -hmm. which has been associated with, you know, eczema and asthma and psoriasis mm -hmm. and migraines and fibromyalgia and uh, autoimmune conditions and pretty much you name it. Yeah. Any weird kind of thing, we've yeah. got a lot of kind of leaky gut. Mm -hmm. um, and so addressing that, like, does this person have that? And then their gut microbiome, do they have dysbiosis? Do they have a low growing infection or parasite mm -hmm. that could be fungal, bacteria, or parasitic? And can that be treated? So to put it back into context of IBD, I remember I was working with that man a long time ago, and um, he had ulcerative colitis. Mm -hmm. And... And so I said, you know, um, let's try this diet, but also let's, I'd love to do some stool testing on you. Mm -hmm. And I asked his gastroenterologist to order us a fancy stool test. And when the results came in, the gastroenterologist, I, I looked at the results and I said, look, he's got amoebas. Mm-hmm. He's got amoebas. Will you treat the amoebas? So the doctor said, you know, Liz, he's going to be on steroids the rest of his life. He has ulcerative colitis. This is just the way it is. Mm -hmm. But then when he got his amoebas treated, his ulcerative colitis disappeared. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, I think looking at kind of dysbiosis, and using, again, IBD as an example, we're getting more and more research that demonstrates that, that Crohn's and colitis both have um, dysbiosis, an imbalanced microbiome yeah. at the root. Yeah. And, yeah, I want to I wanna go deeper with that, um, if we can, just, just ask you a question about that. Because it seems as though... Sure. Not too long ago, I was um, invited to a local gastroenterology clinic uh, to, to roundtable with the GI docs, and they they wanted to meet naturopathic doctors, and so they invited me. And it was a very great kind of productive collegial conversation, and we were talking about IBD and how they they know what to do about getting people out of a flare or potentially um, stabilizing disease with biologics. But the biggest issue is figuring out if someone is actually flaring or they're dealing with like a dysbiotic flare. Mm -hmm. 
So they're, they're always walking this line. So I'm glad you brought that up. And it seems like dysbiosis, and I, I want to hear your comments on this, dysbiosis is maybe an underlying push or driver for inflammatory bowel disease, but also it actually gets worse with some of the biologics. It's harder to manage once they're on biologics. That's just my impression in some of the study and research I've looked into, but I want to hear your thoughts on that just to see if you would agree or what your experience is with like dysbiosis, dysbiosis being harder to manage once um, there's some immune suppression. Yeah, you know, I'm not in practice right now, mm-hmm. so I'm not seeing it, and the biologics are relatively new, mm-hmm. but we certainly saw this when people were using steroids, mm-hmm. because you get this kind of rebound, mm-hmm. and I think the same thing that I've seen with the biologics is that people kind of get hooked on them, mm-hmm. um, and they suppress the immune system, as you said, you know, mm-hmm. TNF-alpha and other, and other inflammatory markers, and so they always keep you suppressed. And so then there's this possibility that as you start withdrawing somebody from these, that they're going to flare up. Mm-hmm. However, um, you know, I've seen people and, and then you've got the other thing where, and then if you keep giving antibiotics, mm-hmm. that can make the inflammatory bowel disease worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you have even more dysbiosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, most people will really bounce back within a couple weeks of taking a round of antibiotics. But if you keep giving somebody antibiotic round after antibiotic mm-hmm. round, then they're not going to necessarily keep bouncing back. And we yeah. see this um, with ulcerative colitis and Crohn's. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Not an easy, it's not an easy question. And it's one I was talking with some colleagues just the other day about. It's like, it's like, well, okay, if you've got somebody on one of these biologics, then why not send them to you and have you work with lifestyle and mm-hmm. diet and maybe do stool testing mm-hmm. and breath testing, we see a huge amounts of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth right. in people with IBD, you know, and the gastroenterologist certainly can be doing that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they had the time and the resources, because, um, you know, that's that type of work is really high touch care, right? I mean, it's, you, you have to have time to work with patients and spend time with them, I think that's the challenge that they face. Yeah. And now now we know, have a most, yeah. Most of them do have breath tests for yeah. doing SIBO testing right in their office. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing that, and and then it's just the management of the res, of you know the SIBO from there. That's um, luckily a number of them are starting to hire GI dietitians that you know are learning some ways to help with. SIBO and, and yeah, referring out to clinical nutritionists, naturopathic, functional doctors, functional practitioners. But, um, so I don't want to, I don't want to sidetrack you from what we were digging in on. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I'd like to keep digging. <laughs> okay. So we did D digestion absorption. We did I intestinal permeability. We did G gut microbiome. Um, 
and then the next I is inflammatory immune. So IBD is definitely one of those inflammatory immune conditions because um, you've got that, but you can have inflammation pretty much anywhere in in the GI tract. You can have gingivitis, you can have esophagitis, you can have gastritis, so you can have inflammation anywhere. And then you can also have immune activation from food sensitivities, environmental um, contacts, dust, mold, um, even something like eosinophilic esophagitis. It's basically like allergy of the throat. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like to think of it as asthma of the throat. Yeah, It constricts and people have really high um, eosinophil counts yeah. but that are found on biopsy. So it's like, well, that sounds like allergy to me. Right. You know, so, um, so, you know, so think about immune, think about inflammation as the next I, and then thinking about um, N, which is the enteric nervous system. Mm-hmm. And that is so cool because we're just starting to see more and more research on the relationship between the gut and the brain, and they're connected through the vagus nerve, and the vagus nerve is... Um, connected to the brain, which then stimulates the hypothalamus to say, hey, everybody else, this is what you need to get cooking on. Mm -hmm. And then the vagal nerve also interacts with the gut to um, to see about, you know, increased permeability or healing or different things. And so um, what we know is that most of the conversation is from the gut to the brain. Mm -hmm. About 90% goes that direction Mm -hmm. and 10% goes from the brain to the gut. So for example, like if I'm feeling depressed or stressed, I might eat all the Halloween candy that's left over. Mm -hmm. Right? It can affect what I eat. And then what I eat, eating all that sugar can affect my gut. (laughs) On the other hand, I could have, um, I could have, um, a, a dysbiosis in my gut that makes me depressed and anxious mm-hmm. or or I could have um, schizophrenia, which when like we have one um, researcher Dohan who actually worked with men who were in an institution for schizophrenia and he put them on a gluten and dairy free diet mm-hmm. and two thirds of them improved. <laughs> Two-thirds. You know, we've got dozens of papers on gluten and schizophrenia. So is it the whole story for most of them? No. But how many of them actually just have undiagnosed celiac disease or non-celiac gluten sensitivity or leaky gut? Mm -hmm. And so it's starting to look at this whole relationship between the gut and the brain. And the vagus nerve, as you know, Mm -hmm. is it's the chill out. (laughs) You know, when we sit down to meditate or we get acupuncture or we go for a walk or we have a beautiful meal with friends or listen to comedy on TV. Yeah. Those things are like feeding that sympathetic nervous system. And in our daily lives, we're just on paras, sorry, parasympathetic because, because we're mostly just on go, 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 which is a sympathetic nervous system. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's really wonderful these days. Like in my clinic, I have, uh, a monitor that's made by this company called um, Heart Math, and it's called Inner Balance, and it's a 
just basically a device I can, if people are not grasping this concept of, am I, do I have poor vagal tone or, you know, if I, if I have vagus nerve problems, we can just kind of monitor them in the clinic and we can see how good their heart rate variability is, which gives one good indication of, of um, vagal tone. And it's, I think it's alarming to people because it's really hard to sort of, if you ask someone, how's your vagus nerve functioning? <laughs> it's really hard to say good or not so good, but the hurry variability <laughs> is, is one of those ways that we can say, you know what? It's really out of tone. Um, do you use that or is that something that you're interested in? I'm interested in it and I have a little meter, like a personal meter uh -huh. and I've like pro, you know, like put it all into my computer and then I've tried to use it a couple times when I'm in a, national park where I don't have internet and then it doesn't work. So I haven't kind of, we haven't like figured out how to merge our relationship so that it works really well, but yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Last week though, I tried something different for the first time. I tried um, frequency specific microcurrent. Hmm. Okay. Um, which is similar, but different. Mm -hmm. um, it's, being used for uh, fibromyalgia and pain syndromes and different mm -hmm. things. But the program that I put on it was um, uh, like peace. Uh, what was it called? Um, rest, rest and stress or something mm -hmm. like that. And I left there kind of like I've left when I've done heart math work mm -hmm. is all of a sudden this great peacefulness was in mm -hmm. me, yeah. you know, and it, it's lasted for days. It's like, wow, there's this, I have a lot of things on my plate right now with mm -hmm. the book coming out and a course coming out to go with the book and, and all of this, but this great kind of underlying peacefulness. Mm -hmm. And I think when people are doing heart rate variability with heart math, they, they feel that same kind of peacefulness. Yeah. And then if you and tie it into what that, what that provides the the digestive function. I mean, it's, it's such a great mind gut treatment or lifestyle, I should say. Well, before, before we uh, go into hearing about your book and some of the other things you're working on, I would just like to go into IBD just a little bit more. And so I think if in a dream dream world, I would have this practice where, you know, I'm, like I, there's there's a nutritionist you know that's really skilled kind of working side by side with me and I, I do you know work with nutritionists um, quite a bit but just in these moments in a clinic room a patient comes in with ulcerative colitis or Crohn's um, I'd say of the two ulcerative colitis is the most tricky dietarily in my experience and the they're been told they they need to go on Remicade for life, which is, you know, biologic for life. And this is going to keep them from having any surgeries and resections. And so they're bought in with that. And that that's something that has been decided on and committed to yet. They're not stable um, digestively and they want to know what is the best way to dietarily manage colitis ulcerative colitis. And so we sit there and it's like quite a puzzle. 
And um, I'd just like to hear your thoughts about if that patient was in your, your clinic, your room, or just if you were consulting on that patient, what's the first conversation look like for you? Well, the first conversation is I'm nosy. I want to know all about their life. I want to see a food diary. I want to know about their exercise and their sleep and their relationships. And do they feel heard? And do mm. they feel loved? And do they feel lonely? I, I want to know kind of all of that. Mm -hmm. Because for me, that's, you know, kind of the basis of overall health. So I want to start with not the shiny, fancy things, but I just want to understand like their life. I also want to find out like when did their ulcerative colitis begin? Was it a sudden thing or did it happen slowly over time? Because sometimes if it was a sudden thing, then then you can kind of look at it and say, aha, like this started after you went on a vacation and you had food poisoning or you got dysentery or whatever. Um, I had one person I was working with, a young woman, and she went to Morocco and she came back from Morocco with ulcerative colitis. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, huh, in that case, I want to do some fancy stool testing. I want to really look and see, well, is there maybe um, an infection of some sort that's driving this? Could mm -hmm. there be a parasite that maybe even got treated, but there's still small amounts of it, just enough to keep this simmering, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I do want to use that dig-in model to kind of try to suss out, like, what's going on, mm -hmm. Um like, I remember one time I had this woman, she was uh, taking biologics, she wasn't feeling well, her ulcerative colitis kept flaring up, right? And so we're having a conversation and I, one of the great benefits I always had of working for myself and having as much time as I needed to spend with people was I could kind of ask a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And so... Because I was taught that if I asked the right questions and I gave people time, they would tell me 90% of what I need to know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so she said, you know, last winter I had bronchitis and my doctor gave me penicillin for that. And when I took the penicillin, my ulcerative colitis went away hmm. and it was gone for about three months. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And I said, huh, well, why don't you see if your doctor would give you some more penicillin, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And so he, he, he or she did, and her doctor, um, and she felt fine as long as she was taking the penicillin. Mm. She's like, well, now what? Right. And I said, well, I'm not a physician, but either you're not on the right dose of penicillin or it's not the right antibiotic for you. But this demonstrates that what's going on is that you have an infection that hasn't been treated adequately mm -hmm. and that it keeps driving that ulcerative colitis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I also really, I, I would want to give, I would want to, as you say, like, Diet and inflammatory and ulcerative colitis, it's tricky. It's mm -hmm. really tricky because sometimes it isn't really their diet. Mm -hmm. You know, um, with Crohn's disease, 
Boy, especially in kids, but, you know, in adults, too, we're starting to see really good research on the specific carbohydrate yeah. diet is being so useful. Um, so if that works for somebody with ulcerative colitis, great. But if it doesn't, then you start wondering, well, okay, do we do food sensitivity testing mm -hmm. to see if there's something there? Do we start... Do we start um, looking at other things? Um, I remember going to a Crohn's and colitis meeting once. I was um, a speaker, and quite honestly, um, I didn't stay on their slide deck very well. Mm. Um, but so I probably didn't get asked back for that reason. <laughs> but anyway, but there were several um, uh, people who stood up and they told their stories of healing from inflammatory bowel disease. Mm -hmm. And what I really took away from those people who were brave enough to talk about it was that there is an emotional, spiritual component to this disease, mm -hmm. to these diseases. Mm -hmm. And that if we don't address those with something that people aren't ultimately ever going to kind of get past this barrier of really getting well. And it mm -hmm. doesn't say that everybody's going to get 100% well, mm -hmm. but, but I've seen people with homeopathy, it really works. I've seen somebody with shamanism, and he feels like that absolutely cured his Crohn's disease. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've worked with somebody who acupuncture was was her main issue you know she mm -hmm. used that as her, her energetic medicine mm -hmm. um um counseling is really mm -hmm. can be really useful mm -hmm. when we're working with somebody who has a chronic illness you know we love to work with what we can see mm -hmm. but so much of what is happening is probably a blockage that happened when they were five years old or when they didn't feel loved or didn't feel good enough or when their parents got divorced or mm -hmm. when one of their parents died or, you know, when they felt unsupported or, or abused or traumatized in some way. Yeah. So, you know, I love that you're using heart math because I think that all of these more softer, energetic kind of techniques like homeopathy, heart math, um, frequency-specific microcurrent. Um, I used to use something called life alignment, holographic repatterning, counseling, like all these things. They can uh, hypnotherapy, mm -hmm. um, guided imagery. All these things can kind of unravel some of those blockages that keep us sick. Right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think that is, you know, um, when I do, when I've had the great joy and privilege of seeing someone go from sick to going, getting well, you hear these conversations come out in the interchanges with with what they're sharing is like, you know, I used to be so hard on myself um, about every little thing and I've learned to really give myself you know, some compassion and, and some, ba and I've established more of a balance mindset to what I need to achieve and the way I look at myself. And, you know, it, you hear these conversations and, and I always 
I think I mentioned this in a previous episode. I always, at that point, I feel like I can just sort of like step back and say, you know, the, the work is, you know, here they're moving on. They're, they're, they're in a better place in, in their, they're in a wellness state because that is often the obstacle to cure. Um, but we don't want to take away from all the real physical mechanical balancing that we have to do as well. One thing that you, you, what you mentioned, I just wanted to point out is there's like a new tool out there called the Adverse Childhood Events Survey. I have been using that with patients just to get them to have a concept of the sheer volume of, of events that might have impacted their health growing up. Like a lot of people downplay certain things that have happened in childhood because it's like, what can you do about it? Um, but I, I like people to use that tool to just really see where they score as far as the cumulative experiences they've had in their life that may have impacted their, their health. Yeah, it, um, that work continues to grow, and it's really fascinating. It's a pretty simple questionnaire, and yeah. you read it and you go, oh, yeah, like, huh, that happened, or this happened, or you know, and almost everybody has at least one of those in their childhood. Yeah, yeah, but and then you know, and I think the 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 more events, and they do a really good job of tiering the different types of events that could have made an impact. Um, and then you know, patients who will claim you know that they've had just a really remarkable childhood, and it was like a storybook childhood. Yeah, they'll score really well on it, <laughs> and you know, and and it's it's like it does give some good information. Um, so, well, I I've really enjoyed this, Dr. Lipsky. This has been really exciting for me to to learn these models a little bit straight from, you know, who I consider you know one of the key um, influencers in the field of functional medicine. It's this is a really exciting for me to to have this conversation, and I wanted to take just a few minutes here or as much time as you want actually just to talk about your upcoming book and anything else um the book release and anything else that you'd like to share with us about what you're up to these days and just also if you could just leave us with a take-home message or two ah okay um i love all of this so (laughs) first of all i've last year and a half, I've been working on an update, a fifth edition of my book, Digestive Wellness. And um, I I just want to say, like, when I first wrote it, I didn't really know that much. And I wrote it because I wanted to know more. So if you have an idea of something that you just want to know more about, like you and I were talking about, why are you doing the podcast? Well, I get to talk to all these really interesting people, right? Mm -hmm. And I get to learn. So um, I think being brave enough to kind of have a vision and follow it through is, you know, a piece of it. And then every once in a while, that vision resurfaces and says, oh my gosh, the field has changed so much and there's so much more that I want to add and my understanding has grown or changed. So the fifth edition is a a really big update and it's coming out late in November and I'm really excited about that. I can't wait to have a copy in my little hands. Um, And then I also, while I was writing it, I had this feeling while I was writing going, oh, you know, there's only so much I can put in a chapter. I'd really like to take it and 
make a course and make a little video course to go with it. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned that to my husband. I was just going to sit on Zoom and do it. And he's like, no, 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 let's hire a videographer and let's do it right. Mm-hmm. So um, I have a course with um, over 20 um, little videos about me really explaining the different diets and how I think about them and explaining the five R's and the dig-in model and um so many, uh, like the gut brain and uh, cardio, like how is diabetes related to, how's diabetes related to the microbiome mm-hmm. or liver disease related to the microbiome? Mm-hmm. So created this course and it also has nine cooking demos and dozens of recipes and and handouts on that clinicians can use in their own practices and that mm-hmm. patients can use for themselves. So I'm really excited about that mm-hmm. and working on that right now. So, and then my other thing that I'm just always doing is um, teaching. So I teach for Maryland University of Integrative Health mm-hmm. in both their doctoral and master's programs mm-hmm. in um, nutrition from a more integrative functional lens. So mm-hmm. um, life is always interesting mm-hmm. and it's really good. So I guess parting words is... I love how the body wants to heal itself and if we give it the right environment and we seek out people who have tools that are maybe different, Mm -hmm. that we can feel better than we do. Mm -hmm. And, um, And, you know, medicine focuses on really, you know, um, the main focus of medicine is kind of maintenance of status quo and bringing people out of emergency acute situations mm-hmm. um, and bringing them, you know, like to a better place, as you were mm-hmm. saying with when you were talking with the GI docs. But it doesn't have really good tools for for really helping people optimize their health. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where nutrition and naturopathic medicine and acupuncture and chiropractic, um, they really come in where we are really learning about ourselves. We're learning about what works in our own body. And we're getting the tools that really teach us how to do better Mm self-care. So I think we can all feel better, like, a year from now, hopefully, than we mm-hmm. feel today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that said, the human body does really weird things. Yeah. And that's part of our spiritual journey in life. And and so, mm-hmm. you know, a disease is teacher. Mm-hmm. I've certainly had my own moments of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, so, you know, to kind of go with the ebb and flow and just kind of look at it as an observer sometimes yeah. instead of being like so stuck in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember I was um, preparing for, I was getting <clears throat> testing done. I have a genetic disease called polycystic kidney disease and mm-hmm. I got a, tra- a, a kidney transplant from my sister 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And and um, but I remember I was like getting the testing done and I was starting to freak out. And then I'm like, well, what's really happening right now? Oh, well, like I'm sitting in this really quiet room and mm-hmm. I can just like be and I mm-hmm. don't have to be freaking out. I can mm-hmm. just like be in the moment. And and so it's like that having, you know, going through a kidney transplant, it gives me a lot of empathy. Yeah. But also 
my kidneys, when I would have conversations with them, Mm -hmm. I would say like, well, what do you need? Like, what Mm -hmm. do you need? Like, what should I be doing? And their answer was, oh, we need a new kidney. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, well, I have to just surrender that. There's nothing more I can really do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so I think being where you are is really important. And then I also think about not just accepting a diagnosis and saying, okay, so this is my diagnosis, but what else? Mm-hmm. You know, what else can I do? Because I think for so many people, their diagnosis is kind of the end of their journey. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm just going to take Remicade the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Or I'm, well, I have migraines, so I'm just going to take these medications the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, maybe, but maybe there's something driving it. Maybe there's something you can do. Yeah. 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 I mean, it sounds like such a balanced perspective of, you know, balance between, you know, addressing what is and being in a place of acceptance and also taking action to, you know, what, what you may have some influence and be able to um, improve, you know, your, your overall health and status of, of whatever you're managing. So it sounds really balanced. Um, Thank you. Thank you. It sounds like you have a great practice and such a lovely perspective on working with people. Your patients are very lucky. Thank you so much. I really enjoy and and grateful for my patients and just enjoy this uh, field very much. So um, I'm glad to uh, glad to hear that was your impression. Thank you. Um, So, well, I, I guess uh, I have already ordered my copy, so um, and I'm excited for it to show up. Um, I've got it on the already ordered through Amazon. So um, if um, I'll put in our show notes some links to how people can order the new edition of Digestive Wellness and um, links to all the other great work you're doing. Um, and is the video series going to be able to be purchased through your website, or does it come as part of the book purchase? No, it's going to be purchased separately from my website. Okay. So we'll at put, innovativehealing.com. Okay. But great. it's not up yet. Okay. Yeah, so it excellent. will be. Okay. It's all in process. <laughs> all right. Well, excellent. Well, thank you for your time. And um, I look forward to crossing paths, paths with you again. Me too. Anytime. Thanks, okay. Adam. Thanks. Take okay. care. Okay. Bye bye. Okay. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode with Dr. Elizabeth Lipsky. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did and that you learned some good things about digestive health and wellness. Please click like in your favorite podcast player and subscribe to our channels and also share this episode with your friends and loved ones and your social media networks. The only way for us to continue to grow and help people through this podcast is by your endorsement. So thank you for doing that. And we look forward to speaking with you down the road with new topics and new guests and maybe some of our guests that will be returning to speak with you again. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the One Thing Podcast.